this is a very real problem that directly affects millions of people around the world. If we expand that to look at the indirect effects, such as how disparity creates enormous stress on communities around the world, we're talking about billions of people who are impacted by this issue. And for me, at least, this was a really big problem where using technology wasn't an apparent path. If you were to ask me how technology could help address an issue like the disparity among different populations when it comes to healthcare access, I would be at a loss. But as it turns out, technology can play an important role in that effort. As we'll learn, tech is really one piece of it. Real solutions to eliminating disparity will require much more than technology. I spoke with Dr. Q. Ree, Chief Health Officer at IBM, and Dr. Irene Donkwa Mullen, Deputy Chief Health Officer, IBM Watson Health, about this issue. Both doctors have dedicated an enormous amount of time and effort as physicians and data experts to create a more equitable access to health services across all communities. They helped me get a deeper understanding of the challenges we face, how they impact millions of people, and the way technology plays a part in addressing the problem. Thank you both for joining me today. We have a lot of ground to cover and a big topic to talk about. But before we really dive into that, I wanted to hear a little bit about your personal story, about your journey uh, and how you got to where you are today. And your personal reflections upon the really big challenge of disparities in access to health and healthcare services. Uh, Dr. Ree, would you care to share a little bit of your background and your personal experience? Sure. No, I appreciate that. So I currently serve as the chief health officer for IBM and Watson Health. I'm a, a physician by training and also um have some background in, in, in health policy. But if I were to reflect on how my journey in health and healthcare started, in some ways it might have started since I was born. Um, I was born in Seoul, Korea. Uh, my, uh, I was the eldest child of, of, of my uh, generation. And um, I got very sick at a very young age, uh, when I was several months old, I was having um, a th what was known as failure to thrive, and I wasn't able to gain weight. And the, uh, the healthcare system at the time um, wasn't able to find a solution, and my, uh, my parents um, were told to go, go home and, and, and likely that I wasn't going to um, make it. And so, um, in a fascinating way, things things changed. I, I was able to gain weight, and um, my mother, who was a nurse, um, you know, uh, uh, supported my my growth. And then we immigrated to the U.S., uh, a country of extraordinary opportunity to to start a new life with uh, my dad, who's an economist in the World Bank, and my mom as a nurse. And um, was fortunate enough as an immigrant to to really have uh, a supportive family plus an extraordinary education that helped me recognize you know the value of health and and the role that we could play um, in advancing and improving the health of populations. So 
I trained as a physician in internal medicine and pediatrics to take care of families. I had the, the good fortune of taking care of a lot of families, many of whom were immigrant families uh, in D.C. and Baltimore, and many from um, communities of color and poverty, and then um, had the good fortune to work in the federal government as a health policymaker and look at health disparities and the challenges of health and healthcare across the country domestically, and uh, even play a small role in the health policy around the Affordable Care Act, which played a very significant role in expanding care for underserved populations. And now have the good fortune nearly a decade working for IBM and looking at global public health and, and looking at ways in which data analytics and AI can support the health of the populations of the clients and partners we serve. Fascinating. Uh, Dr. Donkwa Mullen, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your journey? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I also I serve as Deputy Chief Health Officer um, at IBM Watson Health and Chief Health Equity Officer. And I have primary responsibility for science, data and evidence, um, research and evaluation. And I also, as Chief Health Equity Officer, um, basically helps to ensure uh, equity, health, uh, health equity, diversity, and inclusion, uh, working um, with Q and, and a brilliant team at IBM Watson Health. In terms of my journey, uh, I, I grew up in Ghana. I knew a woman at our church who was also called Irene. Um, she was a dentist. Uh, and I actually called her Auntie Irene, even though there were no relation because she was uh, at that time, there were very few women doctors in Ghana that I knew, and I was really inspired by her. So um, to be honest, I was also motivated by the idea of being thought as someone smart, intelligent, caring, and a dedicated physician who was also a woman. So I really, really wanted to have those qualities that I saw in, in Auntie Irene. Um, in addition to growing up in Ghana, which was, which is quite different, right, from the U.S., there was a lot of illness that I saw that were chronic um, and diseases that were easily preventable with either vaccination or with screening and early detection. Um, I actually remember getting mumps. I remember, um, I don't remember getting measles, but I was told I had measles as a child. Um, you know, our healthcare system was was overburdened. Um, healthcare was rationed, and and I and I experienced and I saw all of this. But I was also drawn by this opportunity to pursue a deeper um, scientific understanding of the human body, right? The physiology of the disease, why it occurs, um, and um, I sort of really knew that there was disease outside of just um, clinical care because of what I saw with you know, lack of nutrition and, and hydration um, in, in growing up. And so as I entered, I came here um, actually for college after I finished high school. Um, I, and when I entered medical school and residency and learned more about determinants of health, it was sort of an aha moment 
Um, in medical school, I, I went into public health as well. So I did uh, a double public health medicine degree and um, my and becoming a primary care physician um, was what I wanted to do. And I realized really, yes, I, I wanted to care for vulnerable and socially disadvantaged populations. I wanted to be more compassionate, you know, listen and understand and, and value um, their culture and, and beliefs. Um, but but I also had that motivation about changing the way medicine was always focused on clinical care in the U.S., you know, seeing the sick, chronically ill, to a focus on also addressing determinants and disparities and, and supporting interventions around what we know as social determinants. And, you know, both need to work together. So I had the, just like um, Dr. Ree, I um, worked in public health and also had the opportunity to work at the National Institutes of Health. The healthcare side, can you talk a bit about what it is IBM is doing in that space? What are your teams actually pursuing? Health is so foundational and essential to the value proposition that I hope and I believe IBM has played and will play during this crisis and beyond. Um, if you think about um, information, data, analytics, and, and, and the opportunities around artificial intelligence and machine learning and analytics and predictive analytics, um, there's such an important role to address health um, for the, what I would call the multiple stakeholders in a health ecosystem. Uh, if you think about how data and even care or money flows in healthcare, which in the U.S. represents one in five dollars, and in, in most developed countries, one in ten dollars, and in most developing countries, one in twenty dollars, the, the, the nature of health and, and healthcare is that it typically you've got a patient, a citizen, a consumer, who comes in with a challenge or an issue. Um, we know that 80% of that spend, 80% of that challenge in terms of cost is related to chronic diseases like uh, diabetes, like heart disease, like asthma, like COPD, like depression, like arthritis, like cancer. And there is a encounter that I, that Irene had you know, have the good fortune as physicians to take care of in that privileged moment to take care of a patient, you know, and, 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 and offer support in those short, you know, five to 10 minutes, sometimes 20 minute conversations and interactions. And, and that data flows in a certain way. It flows to a payer, a health plan. It flows to an employer who often is the one who, who, who pays those bills um, for, for their workforce and their family members. It flows um, potentially to a pharma company as they think about studies and trials. Um, it flows to a government if you think about all the testing that's happening with COVID-19 now and, and, and the challenges of, of contact tracing and treatment and isolation and quarantining. So there's an ecosystem here as it relates to health and the impact that health has on, has on you know, people, communities, families, and the role that data analytics and AI and the expertise of people at IBM who 
you know, are experts in data science, are experts into quantum computing, are experts into, you know, Watson and machine learning. To bring those worlds together of tech and health and healthcare, I mean, what better endeavor than to try to improve the health of populations? Fantastic. And this kind of also brings us to the discussion at hand for today. This is a, a huge topic, disparity in access to health care, to health services, to health information, and that it has, as of itself, it's, it's such an enormous thing and it has so many facets. It's challenging to talk about because there are so many different ways we could go at it. We could look at it along uh, aspects of socioeconomic levels, uh, regions, we could look at it by race. And it is a complicated issue. Can you talk a little bit about the overall concept of health disparity? We have a challenge globally, domestically, in communities all across this country and all across the globe, where there are members of our family who are ill, who suffer disproportionately from illness, from those chronic diseases, like diabetes, like heart disease, like cancer, like asthma, like depression. And we have an opportunity and a responsibility in terms of our values to find ways to bring those folks back to better health. And unfortunately, many of the, the factors that represent how those family members are ill are, are, are based on um, risk factors that are associated with things like race or ethnicity or sexual orientation or socioeconomic status or you know, education or employment. And so it's so essential for us to, to, to think about this as a society, to think about the values that we believe are essential for us to be, you know, you know, to support our family members, but also, you know, create a, a dynamic where we, 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 we bring those, those health disparity populations back up in terms of health. So that's how I, you know, simplify it or think about it in terms of health disparities. And to me, equity represents that hope that all members of our family are, are healthy. And how do we achieve that? Yes. And I can add to um, the concept of health disparities and, and even share a story um, as an example. So there are health differences and there are health disparities. And when we, the health difference, for example, a health difference, for example, is um, the elderly population having more, you know, diseases or morbidity than the younger population, right? So that's, that's a health difference. And when we talk about health disparities, we are referring to that particular type of health difference that is linked with a social or economic or environmental disadvantage. So um, in terms of addressing health disparities, we try to understand the root causes of why they exist because they are complex. Um, disease and illness are complex, not just from one factor or due to one single factor, but due to multiple structural policy decisions that we make as a society. Um, for example, having access to clean, safe, and healthy environment, having access to healthy food, um, and overall um, not being burdened by everyday stresses. 
um, there's there's a lot of stress from being poor or low income or unemployed. Uh, and so the stresses that are experienced disproportionately, as Q was mentioning, by people with social disadvantage or by those who have experienced racism or discrimination um, are all as impact health and, and are seen as health disparities. And so solutions for health disparities are not always just medical or clinical. Um, and I, in, in terms of a story that I wanted to share um, sort of up close and personal is around racial disparities in maternal um, and infant health or preterm birth or infant mortality. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of literature and scientific evidence um, around the huge, huge disparity gaps between African-American um, Blacks and white um, in, in, in maternal mortality, in infant mortality, um, as well as preterm birth um, or premature or neonatal births. There's ample evidence from studies that show that Certain maternal risk factors um, that explain these disparities are mostly from racism or racial disparities. And the experience of systemic racial bias, not, not just race itself, can compromise health. Um, in, in Ghana, infant mortality was, was high. I mean, and it was seen mostly with women from low socioeconomic status or regions with very, very poor healthcare infrastructure. But however, in the US, in the United States, um, infant mortality or Blacks, US Blacks across all socioeconomic status have poorer maternal health outcomes and infant mortality outcomes compared to their um, white counterparts even in the same socioeconomic status. Um, and in fact, there's a study that showed that black women with a higher education, like college level or graduate level degree, have similar rates compared to, similar rates to whites who only have a high school education in terms of um, infant mortality. Mm. So a lot of African-American families, for example, I mean, so this is all, due to um, some underlying systemic um, or uh, determinants or social determinants of health. Um, and of course, there's ongoing research to really tease out um, why that is the case. And I myself, you know, surprisingly experienced a high-risk pregnancy. Um, I had a preterm birth. Um, and I thought I was doing everything right. I mean, for myself, I was eating well. I thought being educated put me at less risk for any adverse outcomes. Um, certainly in Ghana, it would have. So, uh, you know, being in the United States environment, being in this probably, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what caused it, but, you know, I, as an example, was quite surprised. Um, of course, everything has turned out fine. My daughter is will turn 18 at the end of this month and um, she's off to college. So I think, think it, everything works out, worked out well. So that's sort of my story that I wanted to share um, that, yes, the, you know, this is an example of 
over disparities. And I believe it's safe to say that the current COVID-19 crisis has really highlighted disparities in a lot of ways, that we've seen this play out uh, tragically with the uh, response to to COVID-19 within certain communities. Uh, How has COVID-19 impacted uh, or affected this issue? Oh, goodness. Um, COVID has definitely shaped our world. Um, It has exposed huge inequalities in health. Um, in healthcare, um, the burden of underlying disease and adverse outcomes um, from from COVID-19. What we see and then hearing actually from the front lines are um, glaring inequalities, not only in the U.S., but also globally. Um, in the United States, we're actually seeing disparities from COVID across race as well, race, ethnicity, and geography, right? So mostly um, along socioeconomic lines. Um, The disparities that we're seeing uh, in, you know, testing rates and infection, severe disease, illness, um, hospitalization, and even ICU um, outcomes. And so basically what we're seeing is something really structural, and systemic, in addition to what we know are higher comorbidities in low socioeconomic status um, minorities, as well as racial ethnic minorities, or or people from communities of color. Um, We've come to find out that it's also um, higher among language minorities. So, the COVID positive cases or infection um, is not also only occurring along racial ethnic lines, but uh, um, also according to the, we've seen it along the impact of, we've seen the impact of racial segregation, I would say. Mm. Um, working class, um, the lack of home ownership or wealth and how people living in these communities really are impacted by the labor market, right? Um, these are, we've seen individuals who really have to go to work in order to pay their bills, leading to higher exposure. Dr. Ree, what are some of the most challenging racial and ethnic disparities in public health and healthcare as you see it? One quick truth to recognize is that health is so much more than healthcare. That doesn't mean healthcare isn't essential, it is. But if you think about the determinants that play a role in health outcomes. It's almost, you could think one, two, three, four, 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, which adds up to 100%. Um, The the broader recognition when you talk about disparities and inequities, you have to recognize uh, the 10%, which is clinical, 20% genomics, and, and, and some of that's connected to this this common history, um, uh, you know, family history of, of chronic diseases makes you at higher risk of having a chronic disease. So, um, and then the thirty to forty percent, uh, thirty and forty percent social, environmental, and behavioral. And so, so many of our communities are challenged. Where the statement that your zip code is more important than your genetic code is, is really true. Yeah, place matters. Um, you can in the same. We use this. Um, 
reference in in DC when I worked um, serving in underserved communities in DC. You know, you could go on the metro and you can go from one stop to another stop and literally span twenty to thirty years of life expectancy. Mm. So I want to highlight that. So when you look across almost every health condition, there are disparities that exist and there's opportunities for equity. And it require, uh, requires us to understand the determinants. It requires us to bring in the right data and then to influence the decision makers. So I'm on this 3D commission, we call it determinants, data, decisions, that's sponsored by the Rockefeller Foundation and, um, and the, the School of Public Health at BU. And this is very important to think about because we've, we've got an opportunity now with COVID and all the data and the determinants science we know to influence decisions in the disparities that exist in public health and healthcare. Um, COVID is making us more aware of mental illness. There are disparities there um, in depression and, and anxiety disorders and psychotic disorders and addictions that exist that need to be addressed and flattened. Those curves have to be flattened as well. Mm. There are chronic disease curves that need to be flattened. Um, that's worsening, especially for communities of color and poverty. So, the, you know, all the chronic diseases I've already referenced from diabetes to heart disease, to asthma, to COPD, to depression, to arthritis, to cancer. And then the other curve that we have to really address and, and be really you know, open about is the, the curve of inequities and the role of structural racism and discrimination in our, in our systems. And how can we address that um, and really invest in diversity and inclusion and equity? So, um, I mean, the, the, there's so much opportunity here for us to take this moment with COVID-19 to be upfront about what we have, what we need to do, and what we want to build in terms of the health system of the future. It sounds like there's a great deal of, of work to be done. I'm very curious to learn more about what it is that IBM and more specifically what IBM Watson Health are doing in an effort to try and address these challenges. I mean, clearly, this is something bigger than uh, what is going to take a, you know, a, a tech solution. Dr. Ree, you mentioned that earlier. It's going to require a lot of different work. But what is IBM's piece in this? What are, what are you guys doing in your efforts to kind of uh, address the issue of health disparity? So we see our role by leveraging technology, but ultimately by, by looking at trust. I, I think so much of um, health and healthcare is still foundationally about relationships and trust. And so as you think about a journey with IBM, it is working with life science companies, hospitals, health systems, governments, um, and employers and businesses and health plans in a partnership with what I would call shared expertise, you know, the, some of the, the, the brightest minds and the, the smartest minds who are very global and very diverse across the globe in data science and AI in health and healthcare, like, like we've got with Dr. Donko Mullen and, and others on our, our team to work with those 
other partners and clients and to evolve that shared expertise into conversations about data. How do we connect these unique data sets? How do we protect these data sets? Because so much about data is about trust. Um, and then how do we bring them together and apply analytics and artificial intelligence and advanced analytics to bring insights that better predict, that better personalize, and that better prevent bad outcomes and promote good outcomes. And so, you know, we're, we're very proud of the work we've done with, with so many different clients to deliver that value in that shared expertise um, and, and those insights from the data analytics and AI. Dr. Donqua Mullen, uh, I have a question for you about data and analytics. I mean, we, we know that data is important, but obviously data doesn't matter so much unless you're able to do something actionable with it. So how can organizations actually apply data and analytics to make better decisions or to create better outcomes for themselves? What are some actual uh, processes that you look at? Data is, is actually a, a very powerful tool. Um, I've heard someone say how data is actually a, a, a lifeline. Um, it's, it's very important. And so organizations can definitely you know, incorporate a health equity um, lens when applying data and analytics, especially for decision making um, in order to really see improved outcomes or, or better outcomes. Um, and they, of course, they also need to ensure that while using the data that we are addressing any transparency um, bias, as well as um, ethical issues that are usually at the core of um, data use. Uh, you know, in terms of our, even the current strategy to address COVID response, um, recovery, and, and even preparedness for, for a potential wave or increase in cases, we, we really need sort of a concerted, coordinated effort using accurate data or complete data um, that that is informed by um, health equity and integrated into all of our all of our policies, all of our interventions, um, and scientific evidence. So I would basically um, say that the use of data for uh, and technology for social good um, is what organizations um, need and so that we it can make better informed decisions and, and produce um, better outcomes, as well as address the health disparities gap. We've talked a lot about what IBM is doing. And I know there are a lot of people out there, whether they are currently having issues accessing health services, maybe they've been affected by disparity. Do you have any advice for people who want to work to eliminate health disparities? What can the average person do that can be helpful? It starts with your people, um, as I was saying, and the diversity that you need to respect uh, amongst your people. Um, it also then goes to what I would call the data and the nature in which you collect data, how you build trust 
and the diversity of your data sets and the transparency you have about your data, but also the protections you have, the privacy protections. Because as I said earlier, you can't, you can't, you can't trust data um, or share data. You don't share data with people you don't trust. So that's a very key piece. I think in this, this clash between the culture of tech and healthcare and public health, you need companies that you can trust who will protect and secure that data and that are values-based. It, it, it then is about analytics, and we, we're very proud to be doing analytics that support what I would call this concept of equity dashboards, where people can see the disparities that exist in the populations they serve, whether you're a hospital, whether you're an employer, whether you're a health plan, whether you're a government. Um, and then the last piece is AI. And I think ethical, transparent, and equitable AI is going to be so essential. Um, many companies want to create what I would call a black box for AI. And, you know, you know we believe that you need transparency. Um, you need to know who trains these AI systems, I mean, because in many ways, the biases that they may have might be continued or extrapolated if you're not transparent. And people need to know how they're trained. They need to know the data sets they're trained on. And they need to recognize the limitations of AI. And we've always suggested that the value prop is not humans or AI, it's humans plus AI to make better decisions. And a part of making those better decisions is to reduce the role of bias uh, in those decisions by, by taking advantage of the best of technology and the best of human expertise together. Do you have advice for people who want to work to eliminate health disparities? What can the average person do that can be helpful? What I love about IBM as a company and in our role we have in society is we can catalyze these conversations as we're doing today. And so there's so much anyone can do to address health disparities and health inequities. N number one, you, you, you educate yourself, you make yourself aware um, as it relates to the challenges, as it relates to, you know, the, the members of a community that are, are facing these disparities. And, 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 and to me, I'm a big believer in we, uh, you know, and how we think about our society. And, and, and um, data brings people together in, in many ways. Um, and, and analytics and, and companies like IBM can play an important role in that. So think about, you know, educating yourself about these disparities that exist, learn about them, and think about how you can bring attention to that um, and, and, and more knowledge and awareness. Uh, a lot of this starts with, with what I call data and trust. It's, it's, it's this idea, if you think about, part of this journey starts with how the data is collected when you're in um, a hospital or, or when you're, you're an employer and where you're in the census and you, you share data about yourself and, and you, you're transparent about maybe your limited English proficiency or you're transparent about your race, ethnicity or your country of origin. You're transparent about, you know, topics like sexual orientation. These, these factors play a very important role in the future of reducing those disparities. If the data isn't collected accurately, and then the disparities aren't identified, and then you can't close those gaps. So 
there's a big conversation about trust and, and how, you, how data is shared and how it's used. And you should be comfortable asking those questions, like what is this data for and how is it being used? But, but, but challenging that, you know, hopefully that you're willing to share that data. Um, in my view, whenever we analyze anything, I mean, you should look at disparities. You should look at factors of race and socioeconomic status. When you're running reports, when you're doing whatever you do, you know, ask that question. You know, we know, for example, blacks make 59 cents, you know, compared to whites in terms of income. We know that in terms of wealth, they make 10 cents for every dollar of wealth that a, a person who's white makes. You know, we, I know my daughters, you know, when they grow up, they're, you know, right now they're competing in an environment where they'll make 70 cents on the dollar that, that a man will make. So if you don't include equity in your analytics and you don't include these factors, then in some ways you, you, you're oblivious to the problem or the gaps that you want to reduce. So we should ask and demand to have those measures, you know, analyzed and tracked and, and then ask questions about the root cause and how do we reduce those gaps. Um, I also believe so much in the diversity of people. Like, think about your own team. Think about the people you interact with. Think about how you recruit your people, how you retain people. You know, how are you thinking about diversity um, in, 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 your, in your processes of, of who you listen to and who you recruit, who you retain? You know, I'm a big believer in diversity. And we're very proud at IBM for, was it 27 years? Uh, being leader in patents in the U.S. I mean, 27 years in a row being number one in patents. And I am a strong believer, a big source of that ability to be leader in patents and that type of creativity is diversity. And so many studies have shown that diversity breeds innovation and there's an ROI attached to being diverse. So I would ask each of you to challenge yourself to, to think about the community and, and the people you're with and how do you embrace diversity in whatever you do. Dr. Dagwa Mullen, would you like to chime in about this, about what the average person can do to address disparity? Health disparities are costly. I'm not sure if everyone realizes. Um, and the and it's caused by a lot of, you know, determinants of health. Um, it's also caused by the fact that data um, that we are promoting or working on is sometimes not complete or not accurate. Um, so in terms of, you know, companies or individuals, I think we should, awareness is, is key and helping to drive and address inequalities by, um, you know, promoting, having a health equity lens and promoting um, data and and analytics or artificial intelligence for for social good, or ensuring that we're all building technologies or working on solutions that will ensure the benefit for everyone and not unfairly disadvantage other populations would help. Um, and and we've seen that this pandemic has actually resulted in you know, a recession and a loss of economic livelihoods um, for a lot of people. And so what we really need to also look at is supporting um, programs, building up these programs and 
intervention or efforts that would really improve the economic resiliency um, or, or social capital, especially for disparity populations, um, marginalized or under-resourced communities that have been really hard hit. Um, you know, it's hard to imagine how we we could recover. I mean, there's been a number of communities that have been left behind, for example, by the digital um, and AI um, revolution. And so really helping, I mean, with resources or um, technologies can help. I mean, for example, school education is a really strong determinant of health. And school education and K-12, um, these technologies for black and brown communities that are in, you know, socially disadvantaged communities may not always have the uh, technology or computers. Um, and so assisting with that, uh, and this, this plays a, a larger role in addressing, um, a larger role in sort of understanding these systemic or structural inequities. Um, and so helping with that is, is really key. Um, I think as individuals, I mean, I, I'm really pleased that we are having this conversation um, around um, equity. Uh, you know, health disparities have existed for really long in the United States, um, I mean, around the world as well, but uh, I am I'm sort of pleased with a with a conversation that's ongoing. So, if health disparities have existed for long, and we know some of the root causes and promising interventions, we need to ask ourselves: you know, what are we contributing to that legacy or the science right now? Um, you know, in the past we would often say, "Oh, nothing can be done about it." Um, you know, and what could we do? And it's and so I think we're at the right time in our history where a lot of people are now caring more about inequalities, about racial justice. Um, we're beginning to really address these difficult things. And, the, and just talking about it, you know, um, asking questions and having the dialogue is, is a great start. I mean, I'm inspired by, uh, you know, the current movement, Black Lives Matter, um, and and I think that that helps basically. I mean, where people can start talking about it, people can look at, you know, how can you we can leverage our, our skills um, and expertise and for the benefit of of everyone. I mean, I think playing all of us playing our part in leveraging our skills and looking um, beyond competition. Um, collaborating in our own space for the benefit of everyone helps. I, I could not agree more. I mean, I I feel that we are entering into a time where more and more people are either realizing the realities that have been in place forever, but or, or effectively forever for all of our lifetimes, but maybe they weren't uh, aware of them because they'd never directly experienced them or they're they're acknowledging them perhaps they were at least subconsciously aware but had not truly reflected upon it we're starting to see that change i am also like you inspired by that and i i am determined to do whatever i can in my role as a voice of the media 
to continue that conversation and to carry it forward to make sure people are still talking about this and thinking about this and thinking about the aspects of the challenges that they can rise to meet and and what other ways we can look to help others and to really, through helping others, help everyone. I was wondering, Dr. Donqua Mullen, if there were any stories you could share about the work that your team has done during the pandemic that you, you're particularly proud of. IBM has developed there's a website aimed specifically for all COVID-19 researchers. And so it allows users to upload information from electronic medical records or from drug trials um, or other sources and use these algorithms to uncover new findings. Um, and, and the site is set up so that users can also keep their data private um, and, and or share it as long as um, they have privacy laws in place. But, but our hope is that this site that has been developed allows researchers around the world to collaborate and gain a better insight into the understanding of the virus and how it um, how it reacts in different populations. Um, and, you know, apart from the, the disparities that we're seeing um, and, and really have precise um, treatment. And, I mean, so this, there is that, there's also, um, the, the clinical development journey is really extensive, um, but we are looking at ways in which we can accelerate our research and using the cloud-based technology at IBM and, and, and streamlining data collection um, or its integration or standardization, especially through the clinical trial process and vaccine development. We want to make sure that it's inclusive and everyone um, and it's safe for all populations. Um, so those are some of the ongoing work um, and, and some of it that we hope to publish soon. But I, I would say, you know, this collaboration, this website um, specifically for researchers and especially to conduct equity work and look at electronic health records um, and data has been um, really helpful. So I find that extremely inspiring. And uh, I love learning more about this because when we hear about it on the news, we typically hear about things in the context of doctors are working on this, scientists are studying it, but it tends to be at that level. And we don't get a deeper appreciation for what that actually means. What is going into that process? What does it mean to an analyze the effects of COVID-19 or potential treatments for COVID-19 or looking at even the spread of COVID-19 and how it spreads. So learning a little bit more about that gives me a much deeper appreciation for the work that, that you and others at IBM are doing in an effort to really uh, address not just the COVID-19 crisis, but the overall challenge of uh, providing health services, making sure that you help others to provide health services to, to address the issues of health disparity. 
One thing that became clear in my conversation with Drs. Ree and Donkwa Mullen is that we can't really begin to address a problem like disparity in healthcare access without data. To form solutions, we first have to really understand the problem. Without that step, any solution we attempt is bound to be insufficient to meet our needs. It is therefore critical to have sophisticated systems in place to collect information and to analyze it. That's where the technology really comes in. We can lean on tech to sift through information so that we can glean insight from those findings. Cognitive systems can help guide us to potential approaches that are more likely to have a real impact and steer us away from actions that might intuitively seem helpful, but in reality have very little effect. And as I learned, time is a critical component when you're talking about health. To learn more about how IBM is responding to COVID-19, including information that business leaders can use to form their response plans and guide decision-making, visit ibm.com impact slash COVID-19. I want to thank Drs. Ree and Donkwa Mullen once again for coming on the show and sharing their time with me. I found it incredibly informative, and I hope you did too. Make certain you check out all of our past episodes of Smart Talks. You can find those past episodes in the Tech Stuff feed and the Stuff to Blow Your Mind feed. We've had a chance to talk to lots of incredible people who are using technology in really interesting ways. So make sure you go back and listen to those episodes as well. Thank you so much. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 